Um, so it might look a little different, but uh, it'll, it will have the same context for you. James chapter 5, verse 17. And I'm going to give you the punchline this morning, and I, I, I'm hoping that we can be a little interactive too this morning as we're uh, listening to the message and hearing what the Lord has to say. I, I really appreciated what um, Wendy had to say this morning as the Lord spoke through her. Uh, because that's something as I've been praying this week, just feeling people are burdened and, and we, need to, you know, we need to be freed up a little bit. And sometimes we wonder why we're going through the things we're going through. And I'm hoping this morning that you can find some answers. Uh, James 5 verse 17 says this, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. In some translations it says he was just like us. He was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Now when you look at the story of Elijah, Elijah is one of my favorite characters in the Bible because as we really begin to study the story of Elijah, we're going to find out that his ministry isn't finished yet. Elijah's ministry spans over 3,000 years. And uh, there's a lot about Elijah that's just mysterious, uh, supernatural. Uh, you look at Elijah and you think, you know, this is some unique dude. But Elijah had a nature like ours, and he prayed. And the punchline this morning that I, I, I want to leave you with, I'll give you right at the beginning, is he prayed. And too often we're confused about what prayer is. Uh, years ago when my wife and I were in Bible college, we had a service in our chapel at, our, at, at North Central University. And you kind of get a little cynical sometimes when you're uh, having these chapels every day, and you get the best of the best that come in and speak to you. And they hand you these papers, you know, when you're, you're going to chapel, and we're supposed, because we're learning to be preachers of, the, of God's word, and so we're supposed to critique the best of the best. And so you kind of get, so you're, you know, you're writing these critiques, and you're taking them back to your professors and saying, this is what I didn't like about his sermon, this is what I did. And one day they had an old, old missionary. And he was a short little guy, and he was frail. Uh, I mean, this guy almost weighed nothing, and we found out later it was from all the time he spent fasting. And he had been a missionary to the Muslims before most of us even knew what Muslims were. And he came up, and he was actually preaching for our spiritual emphasis uh, week so he was preaching for four days three or four days and he came up and he just you know as they introduced him he talked about how he loved Jesus and he didn't seem all that impressive and we're thinking this guy's the guy that they brought for spiritual emphasis week and he preaches a pretty standard you know sermon about Jesus and about the gospel and nothing real impressive and you see people writing, you know, and you can kind of see people talking, and it's like, oh, this, this, you know, this old guy, he's not really that impressive. And, you know, we're marking him low on our little sheets. And as he closes, he begins to tell a story, and he talks about how, as he was a missionary in the country he was in, God told him to go to the town square and openly proclaim Jesus Christ. And he said, if I do that, Lord, I'm going to die. They'll kill me right on the spot. These Muslims will kill me. And so he got up that morning and he told his wife, I'm going to go down to the square and I'm going to proclaim Jesus Christ. And today I'm going to die. And he kissed his wife on the cheek. And he went to the town square and he proclaimed Jesus Christ and the Muslims were angry and they shouted at him, if you come again, we'll kill you. And so he's like, oh, I was obedient. I did what the Lord said and, and I survived. And he goes home and he's praying that night and the Lord says, I want you to go tomorrow. 
So the next day, he goes to the town square. He proclaims Jesus Christ. And miraculously, they don't decide to kill him. They threaten him again. You know, this has to stop. And the, the Muslim imams are there. By then, they've heard, you know, about this guy coming to, to talk about Jesus Christ. And this has to stop or you will die. And he goes home. He survived another day. And God says, go again. So for 30 days, for a month, every morning he got up, he kissed his wife on the cheek, and he says, today I may die. And he went and proclaimed Jesus Christ. Well, as he told the story, and he talked about how this process is going on, and that's when he became a man of prayer and fasting. And he told the story, and it was a good story, and some of us are changing our notes now, you know. Oh, he might be a good preacher. And he finished the story and he concluded, and this is what happened that so amazed me that I never forgot. As he concluded, he simply said, and I found that Jesus is closer than a brother. He's a friend of mine. And it was a good sermon. We all decided, yeah, they should have brought this guy. We're looking forward to the next few days. But then he just closed his eyes and bowed his head, and he says, Now, Lord Jesus, come. And when he did, we literally dropped our knees in that chapel, the weight of God's presence. You know, when Isaiah says, I see the Lord high and lifted up in his train, or his robes fill the temple, what Isaiah is really saying when you study that passage in Isaiah chapter 6 is that God is literally packing his presence in. And it's overwhelming, Isaiah, because it's so deep. And this guy said that just simply, just a simple prayer. And people dropped. And we felt the presence of God. I tell you that story to say when I'm talking about prayer, it's friendship with Jesus. It's a love affair with Jesus. And when we come to the church and we pray and sometimes we kneel, we have the formal ways we pray and, and sometimes we walk around and we pace, you know, and we raise our hands because we're Pentecostals, so we have to do that once in a while and raise our hands. But never forget that it's the friendship. So prayer is not something difficult. Prayer is not something we say, okay, I'm going to get up this morning and I'm going to spend one hour in prayer. Now that's great if you're called to do that. That's great. But prayer is an ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ 24 hours a day. Right now, as I'm speaking to you, I'm praying. I'm saying, Lord, what do you want to do in the service this morning? When I drive an hour and a half to Lansing every morning, I turn on Moody Radio and listen to it as long as I can because I like some of the sermons on there I can hear, and, and I pray. When I sit at home, you, you very seldom will see me. Once in a while I'll do this. I'll go off to a room myself and I'll pray and I'll kneel down. But usually I, I sit there and life is going on around me. You know, the TV's on, my wife and my daughters are talking, and I may have my computer up and I may bring up my Bible software on my computer or I may have my Bible open, and as I'm reading God's Word, I don't just read God's Word. I talk to God and say, what does this mean? I don't understand this. Lord, I've been trying for... 30-some years to understand this, and you still haven't explained it to me, and so that's on my cookie jar shelf up here until I can understand it. But I'm praying. And Elijah was a man of prayer with a nature of, like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. We've been enjoying, as we've been listening to Pastor talk about great stories of the Bible. And I have to tell you, one of the themes that I've seen run through all of those stories is these people were people of prayer. They interacted with God. They talked to God. Sometimes God put them in situations where they had no choice but to pray. And sometimes God puts us in situations where we have no choice but to pray and to seek God's face. And one of the things I like about Elijah is that he shares, when you look at his story, all of our frailties and our fears and our frustration. And so I want to explore that secret to his power this morning as we talk about prayer. 
But I said this was going to be interactive, so what I want to do is I want Pastor and his wife to stand up, and I want the leaders of our church to come forward and stand behind them, and we are going to practice prayer. We should pray for our pastors. Um, and Pastor uh, Mark and his wife, Julie, we should pray for them. We should pray for our leaders. Uh, oftentimes we can look at them and we can say, well, this church isn't doing what I want and I need because we have a consumer mentality. Uh, we don't have Sunday school yet, and I really think we should have Sunday school. We don't have this yet, and I really think we should have this. Uh, we don't see enough signs and wonders in our services, and I think we should see that. He's a man with frailties like us. She's a woman with frailties like us. And sometimes those things don't happen because the people of God aren't behind them praying. The stories told years ago that Charles Spurgeon, as he was at the height of his fame, a man came to his church, and he saw this guy that was dressed. He looked like the custodian of the church, and he asked him if he could see the church, and he didn't realize that this was Charles Spurgeon himself. And as he was looking around the church, and this guy never told him his name, showing him the church, and he says, now let me show you the furnace room. And the guy's like, why do I want to see the furnace room? This ties in real well, by the way, because when we talk about Elijah, we're going to talk about the consuming fire of God. And he says, why do I want to see the furnace room? And Spurgeon takes him to this room, and he hears noise, people's voices, and they open the room, and there are hundreds of people during the week in this room praying. And then Spurgeon turns to him and says, now let me introduce myself, I'm Charles Spurgeon. And this, because the guy as they'd been walking had been talking about how great a preacher he heard Spurgeon was. And he said, this is the source of my power. So if you want something in our pastor that you think you're not getting, you better be praying. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray right now for Pastor and Jessica, and I pray for your anointing to just continue to flow on them, Lord, and I pray for seasons of refreshing to come their way. I pray, Lord, that even in the simplicity of their daily lives, Lord, that they would find refreshing, that they would find refreshing and strength and power, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would just continue to stir the fires of ministry in them, Lord, that you would continue to stir them up, Lord, that you would continue to, to give them a passion, Lord, for all that you have. And I pray this in your name, Jesus. Hallelujah. In your name. Amen. 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 It's as simple as that. We want to be people of prayer. Elijah's a man of mystery. He's a man of power, and he comes out of nowhere. And when you look in, in 1 Kings 17 at the story of Elijah, and... We really don't know a lot about Elijah. We know a little bit about where he's from, and based on that, we think that he may have been a shepherd. We don't know about his family. We don't know if he had a family. We don't know the pain he'd went through before. We don't know the joys he went through before. He just comes out of nowhere. And in 1 Kings 17, the kingdom has been given over to wickedness. King Ahab's on the throne. He's made an alliance with, with uh, another country, and as part of that alliance, it's a marriage alliance, so he's married a Phoenician princess named Jezebel, and we all know that name does not contain a connotation of good things. And it says in, in 1 Kings 17, Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand... There shall be neither dew nor rain these years, except by my word. Except by my word. I mean, this guy comes out of nowhere, somehow gets an audience with the king, God doesn't even tell us how that happened, stands in front of the king, says, I have the word of the Lord, there's going to be drought until I say otherwise and then disappears. He speaks to, to Ahab, and then he disappears. He goes and he, he plants himself by the brook Cherith, and he hides himself, 
and he's getting water from the brook, and he's getting food from ravens. They bring him meat, and they bring him bread. Now, I don't know about you, but the idea, you know, the raven to me is kind of like the rat of birds. You know, I don't like that idea. Uh, if I was Elijah, you know, I wouldn't like exactly where I was placed. And I, I imagine they can't carry a lot, so he's getting portions, you know. He probably doesn't even know where the meat came from. And that's what he's eating and sustaining himself on. It's not a pretty picture. Elijah's ministry was not a comfortable ministry. But he does what he's supposed to do. He comes out of nowhere. His name literally means, my God is Yahweh. My God is God. My God is the true God. And he lives up to his name, and he takes a stand, and his, everybody's worshiping other gods. He says, my God is This message is timely. We live in a day when people are calling evil good and good evil. We live in a day, I, you know, years ago the Lord gave me a dream. And it was just inconceivable to me. My girls were little and, and I had this dream. And in this dream, I saw a man on television and he said, it's the Christian's fault. It's all the Christian's fault. And I have actually, since then, seen people on television make that statement. We're mocked because of what we believe. We're mocked because of the stands we take. When we say we're against this, it's called hate speech now. There is coming a day, unless something happens to turn our nation, where you will be condemned for the very words you speak in a way that you've never been condemned before. And it's not going to be comfortable. It's not going to be easy. But we're called to take a stand. We're called to say no. And we live in a world where everybody says, well, that's your truth. Not the truth, that's your truth. So I can believe this. And I, I have to tell you, it's frustrating. I mean, at, at work, where I work. You know, and it's just, a, I, I think it's the nature of the type of field I'm in at work. Uh, it's more of the social services type of field, you know, reaching out to help others. But, you know, one of the things we really push in our organization is diversity. And uh, I remember several years ago, we were hiring uh, a new position, and just one of the staff asked me, because they know I'm a Christian, I'm very vocal about my faith, and they said, what do you think of homosexuality? And I said, it's a sin. So you wouldn't hire a homosexual. I said, in this field, if they could do the job, yes. And at the time, I was still, I had just started there, and I was still pastoring our church, and I said, but if they came to me to our church and applied for a position, then no. And they said, well, this person basically said to me, well, how can you say that's sin? And, and, and how can you be fair to them if you believe that? And I said, well, we have people working in this office that aren't married. But they're living together. I have family that's not married, but they're living together. And I love them anyway. And I treat them with respect, but I will not say that what they do isn't sin. Well, I found out later the reason I was being asked that is because the person we were hiring was a lesbian. And I have to tell you, she's one of my best friends at work. We, we have a really good relationship. We're, we're good friends. But she knows where I stand on the issue. She's a little more open-minded than some. Some would say, that's hate speech. I work in that kind of environment, and sometimes it's difficult to take the stand. To say, this is what I believe, this is what's right, and this is what's wrong, 
and it doesn't change my love for you as a person. And more and more we're seeing a radicalization where those things are called hate speech. Where to tell a Muslim about Jesus Christ is hateful because we're insulting their religion. We should tolerate that. We should be diverse. That's where Elijah finds himself. It's like you can be a Christian if you want, but go off in the corner and worship. I just read something this week where, where people said, well, the, the, the writer said, I, I have no trouble with Christians, but they shouldn't bring it into the public arena. That's what we're called to do. They're mocking Governor Rick Perry, who's now running for president, because last week he supported and sponsored a day of prayer and called people to prayer. That's what we should do. And by the way, as, as, as I'm talking, I, you know, I don't know if some of you are Republicans and some of you are Democrats. Don't attach yourself to a party. Attach yourself to prayer. A lot of people will tell you that they share our values to get into office. Respect the office of the presidency. Uh, years ago, when Bill Clinton was in office, I, I, it, it really burdened me what Christians would say about him and in, 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 in not addressing sin, not addressing issues, but just what they would say about him and how they treated the office of the presidency and I began to be burdened for, for our president at the time, Bill Clinton. And I was in between. We had just left Bible college, and uh, it was like the summer before we really went into the ministry direction the Lord wanted us to, to do. And so I was doing lawn care with the guy from our church. And I was working in one of the Dow Corning factories, and they had these big ponds that had all these weeds. And so, and I mean, just three huge ponds, and I mean, I've never seen so many weeds, and they give me a weed whacker and said, you have three days to get all these weeds. And so that's all I'm doing for like 10 hours a day is taking this weed whacker and weeding around this pond and then raking it up. And, and as I'm doing that, I, 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 one day I come in, and I'm doing it, and I mean, this is just a tedious thing, and it's like the second day, and I'm like, how am I going to get this done by tomorrow? And so I'm praying to the Lord as I'm doing that, and all of a sudden I saw an image, and I saw Bill Clinton in the Oval Office, and I saw him put his head down in his hands like this, and he cried out and said, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I got burdened to pray for him, and I began to pray for him. And shortly after that, within six months, the Monica Lewinsky scandal broke. And I realized the day I began to pray for him was the day that this was kind of beginning to unfold, even though we didn't as the public know it yet. And he had put his head in his hands because of the situation. And it was kind of like that, like I did something so stupid. And I've never stopped praying for the man since. We need to look at our enemies. We need to look at those that disagree with us in light of that. And we may not always see the results we want. We may not always see things the way we think we should see them. But we still need to be seeking the face of God. Elijah comes out of nowhere. He hides by the brook. And then the brook dries up. And if you continue to read in, in 1 Kings 17... He goes, and he actually goes into the land of the Phoenicians. He's not even in Israel. And he finds a widow, the widow of Zarephath. He's now left the brook Cherith. And he finds this widow. And Elijah just amazes me, the, the, the boldness he had with his words. And she's actually going out to collect her last meal. And Elijah says, give it to me. And she's like, are you crazy? If I give this to you, I'm going to die. He says, give it to me and you'll be blessed. And so she obeys. She gives it to him. She's blessed. She's just, you know, her, she has all the supplies she needs, more than enough during this time of famine. And then her son dies. 
And Elijah goes, and he, he goes up to her son, and he literally, I'm dropping money here, Pastor. Um, just, yeah, give freely. <laughs> and uh, he actually lays himself across the body of the boy. And he prays, the boy comes alive. Now, how many of us are seeing that? Seeing the signs and the wonders and the miracles? He's a man of power. He hides out there for a while, and then he comes out. And God says, it's time, and he confronts King Ahab. And this is probably my favorite, of, one of my two favorite stories about Elijah. After he confronts Ahab, he confronts the priest of Baal. And he basically says, let's call down fire from heaven. And the priests of Baal, by the way, the priests of Baal, one of the things they worshipped, Baal was called the Lord of the Flies, but one of the things in, in part of their worship was rain. They believed that Baal brought rain and brought fertility to the earth. And so Elijah's coming and he's speaking the word of the Lord and he says, my God's bigger than your God, there's not going to be any rain. And then he comes to the priests of Baal and he says, my God's bigger than your God. I can call down fire from heaven and he's going to light this altar on fire. Can your God do that? And so they do it and they're literally cutting themselves with blood, sacrifice from their own bodies, chanting, doing all kinds of things, nothing happens. And Elijah has got his little altar there and he says, well, your God's a God of rain, so let's give you an advantage. Let's pour some water on all of this. And they literally pour water all over it and you know the story. He calls down fire from heaven and the offerings consumed he prays for rain after that his servant looks and they see a cloud the size of a fist and then Elijah tells the servant get out of here before the rain comes it's going to be just a deluge of rain. Ahab takes off in his chariot and Elijah runs under the power of the Spirit and he runs like the wind and he runs past Elijah's chariot, I mean uh, Ahab's chariot. He was a man of power. How many of you would like to be men and women of power? Come up here. Right now, come up to the front. Remember, we're interactive this morning. More power, Lord, more power, more power, Lord, more power, Lord. More power, Lord. More power, Lord. More power, Lord. All that you have, 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 Lord. Full, 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 full. More power, Lord. More power, Lord. More power, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. That's all prayer is. It's communicating with God in the moment. Communicating with God in the moment. Lord, I pray that you just release not just the power of praise, but the power and the authority of a minstrel, Lord Jesus. That even in music, your word would be spoken, Lord. Your word would be proclaimed, Lord. Your word would be glorified, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. More, 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 Jesus, more. 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 More of what you have, Lord, more. More, more. Your fullness, Lord. 
You see, this is going to be the secret to the power of our church is these people that are hungry for the things of God. It doesn't matter who you are or where you are or how far along you are in your faith. As you're hungry for the things of God, you begin to commune with him, you begin to speak with him, you begin to pray to him, and God begins to do things. Lord, I pray just for an abundance of wisdom, an abundance of wisdom, Lord Jesus. Abundance of wisdom, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. More, Lord. More, more, more. Stir it, Lord. Stir it, Lord. Stir it, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. You know, one of the things I have found as I have ministered to people is sometimes we come with an expectancy and we should come with expectancy but sometimes we expect the Lord to do certain things or we see him speaking to somebody else in a certain way and we begin to think that that's how he should react to us and what it really is is a step of faith as we step out as we seek the Lord he meets us where we're at and he touches us in his own way and we just need to walk in the faith of, of what he's done so the Lord's speaking to some of you today in different ways He's speaking to some of you today just to, to draw near to him and to have confidence in him. He's speaking to some of you uh, where you're actually feeling something as, as I've touched you and prayed for you. And some of you are just like, okay, what's the Lord going to do with me? But the idea is that we step out in faith. And Elijah understood that as a man of power. I'm going to step past you. And he understood that. And I just like to touch people, so I'm touching everybody I can touch because I really believe that uh, we sh we're called to lay hands on, on one another as believers. And I believe when we do that, that something happens in the life and the hearts of, of the people that, that God's touching through this ministry. And so I believe even as I'm laying hands on different people that he's stirring up passion and people he's stirring up a passion for him he's stirring it up lord i pray right now i pray that you break her free of everything that has held her back she just can feel your presence lord you're all over her lord you're all over her and ladies minister to her for a little bit minister to her for a little bit just minister to her god's doing something I pray, Lord, that you would just stir it up in Joe. Just stir it up. Just stir it up, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And Lord, I pray for Pastor as he's standing there. He's so hungry for you, Lord. I pray that you would just fill him to overflowing, Lord. That you would fill him to overflowing, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Just stir it up, Lord. Just stir it up, Lord. Just stir it up, Lord. Elijah was also a man of passion. Years ago, I heard the uh, in the Assemblies of God, you know, the, 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 the chieftain of the Assemblies of God is called the general superintendent. And I heard the, the general superintendent of Burkina Faso, country that was experiencing dire circumstances, and he came and he began to speak to a missions class we had, and he began to talk about just the signs and wonders, and 
and the healings and the miracles and the dead were being raised to life. And it, I mean, it was just unbelievable. And we're listening to this in our American context, and, and it's just unbelievable. And we're kind of wondering if he's exaggerating on some of this. Now, years later, I would hear a pastor say, when, when I hear things about what God's doing, I choose, instead of being skeptical, I choose to believe until I've heard otherwise, if it's in line with the scripture. But at the time, we're just kind of sitting there, and I mean, it's just outrageous. And there was a young man in there, and his dad was a, a, a well-known pastor in the state that he was from, Assemblies of God pastor, and he just finally raised his hand, and he said, I'm sorry, but I don't believe you. And we just kind of gasped, you know, we couldn't believe this, this kid's boldness. He said, if this is happening in Burkina Faso, why isn't this happening in my dad's ministry? Why isn't this happening in the United States? Why isn't this happening in America? And the general superintendent just went down, and this is all he did. He just patted his knees. And we all knew. You're not praying, people. And he says, America is rich. He says, God has blessed you, and you think you don't need anything. And he says, Burkina Faso is poor. And we've discovered that the only riches, and he pats his knees again, are found in Jesus Christ. We have so many things to distract us. We have so many things we want and we long for and, and we think it's our right to have the American dream and we think it's difficult when we as believers sometimes are suffering for it. And sometimes, you know, and I believe God's a God that blesses his people. I believe that God's a God that prospers his people. But sometimes I think we get confused with what prosperity really is. And sometimes we look around and we even see other believers in the church and and, and they're seeming to be blessed more than us, and we're struggling, and we're going through difficulties, and we begin to ask God, why, why, why? And we begin to say, well, I'm serving God as faithful as they, as they are, and we begin to envy our brothers and our sisters in the Lord instead of thanking God that he's placed them in, in, in our church and in our kingdom to, to minister with the, with the wealth that they have and, and the success that they have. And we can look at all of that and forget that we're still, even with our little debt ceiling problem and even with our loss of, of AAA rating, the richest country on the earth, we can forget that, yes, you know, it, it, our income standard of living is so high and, 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 and so our poor compared to the world's poor, there's a big difference, but they're still poor. But yet we can still forget they're still blessed. And Elijah didn't seem to ask that question of the Lord at first. He was a man of passion, and he just loved the Lord. And he lived by his name, God is Yahweh. My God is Yahweh. And he, he, he took what the Lord gave him. He, he, he was by the brook, and he accepted the little provision he had. But then Elijah faced a challenge. He's a man of power. There's these great displays of power, and he has this great display of the the, 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 with the priest of Baal, and uh, Elijah thinks this is it. This is it. We're going to defeat these priests, the kingdom's going to come back to God, and it didn't happen that way. Some of you are praying for a new president. What if he wins in the next election? And the country continues to go in a direction you don't like. And I'm not speaking ill of our president, I'm speaking about some of the policies that he's supporting that I disagree with. And so you see an increase in wickedness. It's kind of what happened to Elijah. He defeats these priests of Baal and Jezebel puts her heels in the ground and says, this guy's irritating me, I'm going to kill him. And as a man of passion... He not only was a man of faith and a man of love, but just like us, he was a man who confronted fear. And Elijah was afraid. It's like, man, if they won't turn, if they won't turn, 
If they won't turn after that display of power, I'm going to run. And he doesn't take any supplies. He runs into the desert. He's not even provided himself provision. Some people think he was actually suicidal. We do know that he said to God, just kill me. Just let me die. It didn't work out like planned. He was a man of passion, just like us. He got disappointed, just like we do. Pastor didn't tell you why I'm no longer in ministry. I took a tough church, and it was hard. And I didn't see the fruitfulness I wanted. And to give you an example, uh, just to describe this church in a nutshell, one of the two founding pastors of the church is now in prison for attempted murder. The worship leader that was there when I came is now in prison for causing the death of a young man that she provided drugs to. There was a lot of sexual sin in the church. And there were a lot of things going on. And we stayed there for 10 years. I would have stayed there for a lifetime. We stayed there for 10 years, but at about the seventh year, I literally began to get ill. And I, I've never really been sick in, for most of my life. And I just really began to get ill. And we began to think it was time to leave. And my wife began to believe it was time to leave. And I said, I'm not a quitter. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to stick it out. And so we stuck it out three more years. And in that 10th year, literally within months, I had a, a major surgery. I fell off a ladder working with Habitat for Humanity and broke my back and hurt my hip. And when I hit the ground, I literally, the first thing I thought of before I passed out, because I passed out, when I hit the ground, I thought of Jacob wrestling with God and walking away with the limp. And I thought, this is it. Okay, God, I, I know you've been telling me for three years to leave. It's time to leave. And I really felt, I, I was really feeling from the Lord that I was a bridge to just be a person that came in and kept that church alive until somebody else could take it, take it and reap some fruit. But I didn't want to be the bridge. I wanted to reap the fruit. And uh, so literally, after I, that, I, 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 I think it was the next Sunday, I'm walking with a cane, I come up to the church, and, and I tendered my resignation. And I was so burned out that I, I decided to go to another church a little bit away from us so that people wouldn't follow me. And I thought, I don't know the pastor. This gets you in trouble in the, in the assemblies of God when you think you don't know the pastor because uh, I, I, I didn't remember the pastor, so I went there. He won't know I'm a pastor. He walks in first thing. I know him. I knew who he was. And so I stayed there for a couple years, and it was just before we moved here, and I thought I didn't know the pastor here either, but somewhere, we still haven't figured out where, but we've all seen each other somewhere. Um, and I was so discouraged, I said to the pastor at the time, I'm going to let my Assemblies of God credentials lapse. I don't want to be a pastor anymore. I don't want to be in ministry anymore. And he said, I wouldn't let him lapse. And I said, I'm going, to let, I, I'm going to give him up. And I said, I'm just going to devote myself to prayer and study. And if God wants me in ministry, he's going to have to make it happen. Because I'm done. And that sounds like a bad thing. But I really think it was a good thing. See, I was right where Elijah was. And I literally, during that time, was praying, God, just a heart attack tonight. It'd be fine. Just take me. <laughs> just give me a heart attack. I'm ready. I'm done. And God, through this, has refreshed me. I, and I still don't know where he's going to take me. But I found what Elijah found, that even in our frailties, when we're passionate, see, things didn't work out quite the way I wanted to. When we took that church, we were in the midst personally, a personal revival. God had just, I mean, I was going out, I worked for Teen Challenge for a number of years in Saginaw, and I was going out, and the Spirit was moving. And we came to, to preach at this church. And I, and I mean, I was used to going into a church 
and everybody in the church would be on the floor before we were done. And we came to this church, and they thought it was wonderful, and I thought, this is a desert. And I wasn't sure I was going to take the church, and then God called me. So I expected that kind of thing to happen. Oh, they're going to come into revival. And, and we were fought tooth and nail, and it was more out of people's fear. I mean, there were some really godly people there that loved the Lord, but they were hurt, and they were afraid, and they'd been wounded, and they couldn't get past it. And I got discouraged, and I gave up, and I said, God, take me home. And God has met me, just like he met Elijah. Elijah longed for death because the burdens of life seemed too great. Some of you sometimes, it's not that you literally are saying, Lord, kill me, but I got to wake up, it's another day. He found strength in God, but then in his passion, he found the real power of God. God took him to a mountain. Am I in the wind, Elijah? Am I in the fire, Elijah? Am I here, Elijah? And then he heard the still, small voice. That is the source of your power, believers. See, that's all prayer is, is knowing the still, small voice of God. Knowing when God speaks and reacting accordingly. Knowing when God comforts and receiving the comfort. Knowing when God brings conviction and responding to the conviction. Knowing when God says stand in courage and responding with courage. That's all prayer is. Now I believe that we should be, you know, I have a goal on a Wednesday night sometime to come here for prayer. When we have prayer going on. The problem is a lot of times I'm supposed to leave work at 5 o'clock and at 4.55 something happens and I get a phone call and I've got to deal with it and I'm leaving work at 6.30 or 6 o'clock and so I'm not here. So on the way I'm driving home, a lot of times I'll be like, Lord, they're in prayer meeting right now, I'm praying. <laughs> and we can do that, but sometimes it's good for the pastor to see us here and sometimes we can get formal and we can get down on our knees and we can cry out. And we need to have those seasons of praying. But people, don't make prayer harder than it is. We need to schedule time with God. We need to set time to pray and time to read God's word. But don't make it harder than it is. Let it be natural. When I'm at work, I have a Bible program on my computer, and it's sitting up. And sometimes I'm just taking a 10-minute break, and I'll just bring up the word, and I'll say a little prayer. I pray for the people at work. Sometimes I pray for the people at work and give them prophetic words, and they don't know that. I say, can I give you a word of wisdom? It's really a word of wisdom, but they don't know that. Let it be natural. Because most of all, Elijah was a prophet. He was a prophet of prophets. When you see Elijah... You see a prophet. He stands for the prophets. He's considered the greatest prophet that ever lived. In the Jewish thought, it's Moses and Elijah. He proclaimed God's word, and he became the first of what is called the suffering prophets. After Elijah, all the prophets suffered, and they suffered because the nation was bent on destruction. Now, I pray that our nation would turn around. I pray that our nation would turn back to God. I pray that if God's people humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways, as 2 Chronicles tells us, that he will heal this land. But I have to tell you something. I'm prepared to stand if he doesn't. I'm prepared to stand if the nation's bent on destruction. I'm prepared to feel what Elijah felt. What I've heard Billy Graham feels when he's in his 90s now and frail and he's looking at this country that he has prayed for and preached to for so long and he says, I expected a revival of mega proportions that never happened. And he, and he looks at his ministry and he's disappointed in his ministry. And he's disappointed that he didn't spend more time with his family. 
and he's disappointed that he didn't spend more time with his wife and now she's gone to be with the Lord. You know, we should be praying for him. He put it out there. And this is what excites me, though, about Elijah. After his experience on the mountain when he heard the quietness of God's voice, great things begin to happen. God told him to come down and mentor Elisha. You find other prophets in the scripture now speaking to Ahab, prophets coming out of nowhere. Elijah didn't know that God had preserved 7,000. He thought he was standing alone. You hear the story of the sons of the prophets or the school of the prophets. And Elijah is actually instructing them. There's a school of the prophets. And then you hear the story in 2 Kings. I'm just going to read it to you. You can turn if you'd like. Chapter 2. And Elijah seems like his ministry's over. The prophets are talking. There must have been a prophetic word because they're talking. They're, they're talking to Elisha and they're saying, you know, today your master goes away. Today your master goes away. And in 2 Kings chapter 2, Elisha's grieving because his master's going to go away and he doesn't really like what they're saying. And everywhere Elijah goes, Elisha's like, I'm going to stick with you. Because if you're going away, I'm going to be there when it happens. And beginning with verse 4. It says, Elisha said, Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, Yes, I know. Keep it quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. And the story goes on and on and, and then... Uh, It says, as Elisha is following him in verse 8. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water of the Jordan. And the water was parted to one side and to the other, and the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken from you. So I want to give you an inheritance. It's like he's speaking to Elisha like a son. I want to give you an inheritance. I want to leave something with you. And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. Now we know, literally, double the miracles happened in Elisha's ministry. But the idea of a double portion is he's saying, let me have the inheritance as your eldest son. That's significant because that tells us, you know, they, remember the schools of the prophet? Elijah is now a father figure to a, a, a group that is rising up in the nation calling for righteousness. He's no longer standing alone. He has many sons. And Elisha says, but I want to be the firstborn. You know, I, I've stood by your side. I've walked with you through thick and thin. And Elijah says to him, you've asked a hard thing, but if you see me as I'm being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as he went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. Hebrew says our God is a consuming fire. And these, this fire comes and separates them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. And those chariots represent for us the idea that God is in control even when evil looks like it's going to have its way and sweep over us. God is in control. His warriors are on hand. His warriors are in the battle. 
Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him, and he went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. And he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to one side and to the other. And Elisha went over. And Elijah was preserved and protected. Here's what's exciting to me about this. If you go to Matthew 7, 14, and we're not going to go there today. I mean, 7, 4, and we're not going to go. 17, 4, I'll say it right yet. Matthew 17, 4. And we're not going to go there. You see Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. As he's transfigured, he begins to chat with a couple of people. And he chats with Moses and Elijah. And it's a good enough conversation that his disciples, his three disciples that are with him, know that this is Moses and Elijah that are talking. And, I, and I'm always excited by that scene because you find Moses, who didn't get to go into the promised land. Remember, he stayed on the other side. He's now standing in the promised land with Jesus. And you hear Elijah talking. Still connected to the ministry of Jesus Christ. And then you go to Revelation chapter 11. And as wickedness comes over our earth, and this is yet in the future. And God is once again speaking in a powerful way to the nation of Israel. He calls down two witnesses from heaven. Now, scholars disagree on who one of the witnesses is. Some believe it's Enoch because he was taken and never died. Some believe it's Moses. And there's a good biblical reasons for either one of those views. I tend to believe it's Moses, but there's good views for Enoch, and I just kind of put that on my cookie jar shelf, and it's like, we'll know in the future. Although I don't want to be on the earth when we know. I want to be in the Lord's presence, because this is a time of tribulation. But everyone agrees that the second person is Elijah. And he comes and he speaks to the nation and they kill them. They're gunned down. I mean, I picture, you know, they're being so, causing so much havoc that, you know, they have the news satellites broadcasting them and they bring out the heavy artillery and they gun them down and they lay for three days in the streets and God's mocked and they're mocked and then they rise from the grave. And this man who was a prophet is still a prophet preserved and held by God for a future time. And if that sounds unbelievable to you, so be it. But I stand by the word of God and what the word shows us. And all of that comes because he was a man of prayer. Prayer was the source of his power, his passion, and his prophetic ministry. He was human like you and I, but he prayed. He learned to, to depend on God. He was preserved and protected by God. And I want to just leave you with the final thought. Going a little longer than I intended to today, but and then we'll give opportunity if some of you don't know Jesus Christ. When I worked at Teen Challenge, I was their business administrator and one of the pastors on staff for four years. And when I took the position, I was also an associate pastor at a church. And, uh, but I had to be bivocational. So I had actually two other jobs, and Virginia had a job, and we're working and pastoring. And uh, one of the board members, I, a position opened at Teen Challenge, and it was the pastor's secretary was leaving. And one of our board members at our church was on the board of Teen Challenge, too, and he said, you, you should apply for that. And I'm like, I don't want to be a secretary. He's like, well, you're really good on the computer, and... You know, you can take some of those skills. And I'm like, no. You know, you're, you're, you're insulting me. And my pastor taught at Teen Challenge once a week, and he had to go on vacation. And so he said, will you fill in for me? So I said, yeah, I'll fill in for you. And what's the lesson? And so I had planned on teaching there. And then the board member found out I was going to teach there, and so he said, I talked to Pastor Sal, and we want you to bring your resume when you come to teach. And I'm like, no, I'm not bringing my resume. 
I don't want to work there. I've got jobs. No. And I go there and I teach and I get done teaching. And the whole time I'm teaching, though, to my back is I saw it when I sat down. They'd written on the wall, and I don't know the original source for this. I've heard several people preach it. But they had written on the wall, they had lettered on the wall, obedience creates the atmosphere for miracles. And I, it, it just, I, I mean, I've heard it before, but I'm sitting there, and it's just bugging me. And then I get up and I teach. I get done, and Pastor Sal says, come to my office. We talk a little bit, and he says, I want to hire you. I want you to be my secretary. I said, I'm a man. <laughs> I am not going to be your secretary. He says, Billy Graham has a man who's a secretary. I'm like, you're not Billy Graham. <laughs> <laughs> he says, go back home and pray and come back Wednesday and talk to me. So I go home and pray. Obedience creates atmosphere for miracles. I come back Wednesday but I didn't pray a, a whole lot, you know. I just, Lord, you know, if, if so, let me know. I come back, and Pastor Sal says, so, are you going to come to work for me? When can you start? I said, I'm not coming to work for you. He looks at me, and he says, you didn't pray hard enough, did you? Come back Friday. Friday. I came back, I prayed, and I said, I will give you one year, and that's it. Well, in that time, I was there for four years. He took away the insult of calling me his secretary, <laughs> and I ended up becoming the business administrator, which meant I still did the secretarial stuff. I org kept all the office running. I also did all our grant funding. All, I worked with our CPA and all the business stuff, and all of the staff reported to me and then anything that needed to go to him went to him, and so I was the buffer for him. And that sign was always there. I'd go speak in chapel. Obedience creates the atmosphere for miracles. Obedience creates the atmosphere for miracles. That sums up Elijah's life well. If, we're, if we will be a praying people, again, not hard, as simple as right now, Lord, I love you. I just wanted to tell you that today. I love you. I'm glad I could be with God's people this morning and worship you. We'll walk in obedience. And obedience creates an atmosphere for miracles. And prayer begins to fuel our passion for the things of God. And as our passion for the things of God are fueled, God begins to release his power on his chosen people. And we begin to have a prophetic voice again in this nation. See, what we've done as a church is we think we need a political voice. And God says, you've got it wrong, people. You need a prophetic voice. And if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, and if we'll turn from our wicked ways, because the sin in Washington began with the sin in the church house. The sin in Washington is because of the sin of the people of God. And we need to come to the place, we don't even know the depth of our sin sometimes, where we can come to God and say, I have a relationship with you, God, and you showed me this, and I just can't believe how horribly evil and wicked I am, but I know you love me anyway because of the grace of Jesus Christ. Will you forgive me for this sin? And God will turn our hearts back to him. He'll turn our children's hearts towards home. He'll begin to heal our land. Let's close in prayer. Father God, if you're out there right now and, you, and, and you've heard this message and you've said, you know, I, I, I'm not right with God. There's just things in my life that have separated me from God. If you would just raise your hand and just acknowledge that, I believe God will come in and change your life. So I want to give you that opportunity. I see the hand. I see that hand. Lord, I just pray right now for each hand that's been raised that they would come to know an intimate relationship with you, that we would literally, as the old song says, walk with you and talk with you, that we would become people like Elijah, that we could sing that song, These Are the Days of Elijah, declaring the word of the Lord. 
and we would be your people, Lord, and that we would stand. And Lord, the days are evil, and I don't know how much darker they're going to be. And I don't know, Lord, if it's in your sovereign plan or not to bring a fresh wave of revival to our country and to our people. But I pray, Lord, in this church, in my home church, Lord, that you would revive your people, that we would be people that impact not just the lake shore for the kingdom of God, Lord, but that impact the world, that our arms would re reach around the world. And again, Lord, I lift up our pastors and their wives and their children, Lord, that you would bless them and keep them and preserve them. For your name's sake, Lord Jesus, and for your glory, amen. God bless you, everyone, and thank you, Pastor, for the opportunity.